Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. I'm going to jump into, I think it's a new series, you know, I, I've, I've not really preached series through this time, you know, because it's kind of been a week to week type thing, but I was probably about Tuesday, I, I kind of had it on my heart a little bit, my, my messages unfold kind of throughout the week, I, I, like if I know the topic I'm going to be speaking on for maybe about a month, I kind of have a general idea, but then I just have this conversation with the Lord throughout the week and they kind of come together. I woke up Tuesday morning, and it was very clear the Lord said, talk about temptation. I'm like, uh-oh, temptation. Somebody's doing some naughty business. Well, because that's what you think about when you hear the preacher start talking about temptation, right? It's like, oh, temptation. And sometimes people think because we're heavy on the goodness of God and the love of God and grace that we kind of sweep sin under the rug. Honestly, if you really listen, if you pay attention to this finished work message, the fact that you are not half sinner, you're full righteousness of God in Christ in spirit, you don't have an excuse to continue to live that way. So this will be at least two parts. I'm, today I'm going to talk about the what it is, where it comes from, and start to talk about how to deal with it. So I hate to kind of string you on, and I'll give you enough today where you can walk out of here, you know, encouraged and equipped, and this is not a beat you up sermon, but it is important to talk about. So here we go. I want to talk about overcoming temptation and unbelief, because really temptation is rooted in unbelief. Now that's what we'll get, and we'll look at that for the next. So we're going to talk about the what, where, why, and how of temptation. And so our greatest temptation to overcome is not fleshly desire, it's unbelief. Because you can overcome fleshly desire by believing in your heart that there's grace available to overcome that temptation. And so now you're not under the power of sin, you're under the power of grace, which is, and there's way more grace available than opportunity or desire for sin, and it's just a matter of which one do you choose. And a lot of times, we don't know that you, you actually have a choice when it comes to sin. You're not hardwired for sin any longer because God took that part out of you and put a new part in you. If that's a new idea to you, go back and watch our circumcision of the heart message on our YouTube channel. That may rearrange some things for you, but it's important to know that stuff. So, just so you know, but you should overcome fleshly desire as well. Um, so you're not, you're not under the power. You're not under sin as a slave to it any longer. You're actually a slave to righteousness now because of the kind of being that you are. God removed your old heart, gave you that new heart. It has encoded within it God's law, His wisdom, His knowledge, and it's tuned to God's frequency automatically. The only, what happens is we think like our old dead man and we still drag all this nonsense into our lives, fear, doubt, unbelief, sinful behavior, and we think that that's who we are. And so we start to rewrite over that new self-portrait that God put within us that's the righteousness of God in Christ. Like at your core, if you ever have the question, what am I? Who am I? The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is what and who you are. 
first and foremost. That at the baseline, that's what you are. Now, you might not always act that way. Anybody want to show and tell? You raise your hand first. What's your favorite sin? I, I, I've, got a, I've got an example. Let's see if we can find a break. I didn't plan on this, but this is good. And if you've seen this happen before, I've got a, Who wants to play show and tell? Let's do this. Let me ask you. Who, what brave soul, I never miss this, right? I get it every time. What brave soul would like to let me discern your favorite sin? Honestly, this would be a great example. All right, you, would you come up here? What's your name? Audrey. You are one brave soul, Audrey. <clears throat> are we shaking? Yes. Let's see. Praise God. Your favorite sin is the one you like. Yeah. <laughs> Show Audrey some love. I think my heart was racing for her. But it's true. You don't do stuff that you don't want to do. You sin because you like it. Or it meets some kind of need. You know, you might not like some of those destructive patterns, but you, it meets a need for you in some way that really could be met in a godly way. And, and that's what we're talking about, you know. That's what we're talking about is those that, you know, we're, we're in refinement mode so that the rest of our being matches what God has done in our spirit. Amen? And I love Paul. Paul says, don't sin. Don't sin. Just don't. Stop it. But if you do... Remember, Jesus already paid for it. Or, you know, you have an advocate with the Father. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, which means he already paid for it. Don't sin. But if you do, remember that he already paid for it. But don't use that as a license to sin because you're introducing death into your life. You know, it's unwise to sin. And you're dishonoring the salvation that you have in Christ. And it hardens your heart. That's why you stay out of sin as a believer, because you want to keep your heart soft and sensitive to the Lord, right? Not because you're afraid that you're going to be judged by it, because Christ has already been judged in your place. And some people hear, well, that means you can sin. Well, for you, maybe, not for me. I don't want, I don't hear God's not going to judge me for my sin and then think, woohoo, here we go. You know, <laughs> I don't want that because I know what it does in my life. I want it as far away from me as possible. And you, and you know when it's coming because you're always tempted beforehand. Whether it be lie, cheat, steal, heroin, porn, whatever. You know what I mean? There's always an option. Even if it's just fear and doubt, which are sin. And there's no scale. They're all the same. They may have different levels of destruction, right? So don't sin. But if you do, remember, he already paid for it. But don't use that as a license to sin. Amen? So let's, let's go here. I'm going to read through James chapter 1. James chapter 1 is interesting because it's, it's very misunderstood in some ways. And if you, if, you just, if, you, if you like to lift passages out of Scripture without looking at the entire context and being honest with yourself, this passage, this chapter, makes people think God is creating trials and experimenting on you to teach you lessons. How many of you have ever been taught that? How many of you have ever believed that? God will give me a flat tire, take my job, give my mother cancer, 
so that I will look to him and learn my lessons in this process, as if he's experimenting on it. In fact, that's what the word temptation means, is experimenting. So, are you ready? James 1. And I've taught on this before, and I go into more detail in um, the series that's on the website, um, Is God in Control? Uh, actually, it's on mine. I'll make sure it gets on the church website too. But here we go. James 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations. Now, some translations use the word trials. Some translations use the word temptation. Uh, but you start to see where they're interconnected. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. So you see that when you are tempted, your faith is tried or tested, right? It's, I'm going to kind of get a little bit of teachy here and get some nuts and bolts working here just so that you understand because it's important to know when you're framing up your mindset about what's going on in your life, about what is God actually doing in my life, what is the will of God, should I welcome this thing as from God or should I pray against it and reject it? Because a lot of people think that God's already written the script of your life and that, and that everything, there was even one preacher that said we should change, I'm not going to go there. So knowing, yeah, right, that was, woo, that was a close one. <laughs> knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patient, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect. And the word perfect is actually the word whole or complete or, you know, just basically sound. Whole meaning healthy. Like we would use the term healthy. You're an un emotionally unhealthy person. You're emotionally, that's the kind of terminology we would use. Healthy, right? So... Uh, but let patience have her full work because patience is in you. So like when, you, when you're faced to rush something, you can shoot you, the temptation of rushing or shortcuts. I mean, I'm telling you, we get ourselves in trouble with shortcuts, big time. But if you choose patience, which is a fruit of the Spirit, you lean on God's Spirit and His grace, which is His power within you, births patience within you. And you can eat of the fruit of the Spirit of patience in that moment it will continue to bring maturity and wholeness and health within you. You see how that works? And that's the part that we don't really understand. That's the part that we have trouble trusting God on, that His Spirit is actually doing stuff. You know, His Spirit's in there actually, and really it's an outgrowth of what He's already done in your spirit. He's joined His Spirit to you, and His Spirit's in there, and it's seeking to bear fruit into your life. And when you choose, and I don't just mean the legalistic action of, I'm patient, I'm patient. Patient. No, I mean like it, it, it's something that you actually sit within and own. And you, you know what I'm talking about? Like when you're actually patient versus when you're just waiting. Let patience have her perfect work. Now, patience when you're tempted. You know, so so it's like your first weapon against temptation is patience. You know, in fact, chemically in your brain, they've proven that when you have this rush of hormones and endorphins kick in that you feel when you're moving toward that, you know, because your, your, bo your body chemistry will start to get you excited or, or prepare you for the fight or whatever it is before you enter into it. And if you can recognize that you're getting ramped up in whatever way that might be, you know what I'm saying? And stop yourself and recognize, okay, I'm choosing patience in this moment. Put the spirit aside, even just physically, if you stop and you relax, you settle down, you, you distract yourself, 
those hormones and that body chemistry will start to reset itself after about two minutes and those it kind of runs its course and then it's not such a strong thing you know so that that's why it's it's you know if there are specific life controlling sin habits that you have in your life you you get help whether it be a program that you plug into and you learn some you know it's good to learn some coping skills it's good to learn some mental health skills only as a buffer and a barrier temporarily so that it, you can stave it off long enough to get that patience working in your heart. Because until you're whole in your heart, you're always going to struggle with that stuff. Or you're going to get really good at behavior modification, but yet when, the, when there's just too much stress, boom, here it comes back up. And that happens all the time. We beat ourselves up all the time. We think, well, gosh, I thought I was over that. Where'd that come from? Well, maybe you either really never dealt with it or you've started to understand the love of God for you enough where you're back down to that level in your heart where you're ready to deal with it. And I tell people this all the time. People are like, man, I've been doing so good. I've been doing so good. I've been really engaging in this grace thing and understanding God's love for me and meditating. And then these kind of sin habits kind of come back up. Well, it's like this. Imagine you bury an old stinky skunk in the ground and you bury it really deep and then you got fruit on top of that, but you start digging and then you find that skunk again. It's down there. It's like, you know, the thing is, you just never really dealt with it in the first place. You might have gotten good at managing it, but it's in there. It doesn't define you. Who you are in Christ defines you, but it might still be there. So if you feel like you're doing pretty good, and then all of a sudden this sin habit springs back up, don't think that you've lost all your progress. Just recognize, no, nah, I, I, for whatever reason, I'm back to a place of health where I'm ready to deal with it now. Does that make sense? Um, so... I'll just show you in different translations here. In top King James, this is verse 2, uses the word temptations. New King James trials. ESV uses the word trials. Let's keep going. So it's important because people teach that these passages, that you sh from these passages, that you should welcome trials as if they are from God to make your faith stronger. You ever been taught that? I won't ask you if you believe that. And, and I'll, I'll clarify, because I know that's pretty broad, but, but the question is that, you, that arises from these is, does God test you? Does God tempt you? Is there a difference? Does God test you? Yeah, but not like you think. We'll get there. But, you know, this is your study. This is study time. I'm teaching more than normal. All right, let's keep going. James 1, 5. So, second weapon against temptation is wisdom. And wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. So whatever it is that's going on in your life, you got to be knowledgeable about what will help you, and then you have to actually apply it. I'm sorry, but there's no other way around it. And I say that jokingly because I've done a lot of counseling. And it's like you sit down, I've got this problem. All right, let's see what the Word says about it. Da, 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 da. Are you on any medication? That's like the first question. I've learned to answer that, ask that question to begin with. But anyway, that's in my counselors say, just keep going. <laughs> what the Word say about what you're dealing with? Who are you in light of this, in light of the finished work of Christ? What's your plan to put this into practice? Now go. Do it. Do the word. You know, don't just be hearers, only do it. 
and it will produce change in your life. Not from a works righteousness mentality, but from a fruit where you're sowing the word within there. And I'm shocked at how often people don't do it. They don't put the word into practice. I pray that's not you. I pray that's not me. In my own life, I see it as well in different things. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally without reproach or without holding it back, and it will be given to him. You know, if you're struggling, ask, talk to God. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with him. Now, you can't necessarily let yourself be honest if you got that, if you're, you know, you're panicked and in the midst of it or whatever it is might be going on or you're eating the fruit of that destruction that you just created in your life. It's got to be kind of from a place of patience that you can enter into this level of personal responsibility. Uh, so let him ask in faith, not with no doubting. I mean, that's a whole message in and of itself. No doubt. Have faith, but also get rid of the doubt. Um, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven, tossed by the wind. For let no man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So it's like, believe. Believe and, and work hard to get doubt out. And, and, and see, believing is easy if you make it about believing in who God is. See, a lot of times we try to believe, can I do this? Is this going to work for me? Is God going to do this? And really, the question starts with, believing starts with, who is God? What is His character? And what did He say about this? And I know that He's in me. He's, his, he's available. His Word is available. And so if I will engage Him, He will be who He says He is, always. His Word will not return void but you might not experience the fruit of it because of that double-mindedness. Double-mindedness is probably the biggest problem in the church today. Not holding on to... I would say even this, double-mindedness is probably the greatest catalyst for all these different denominations we have. What I mean by that is we trust God to a degree and then you got a certain amount. You know, it should be... It should be Instead of this denomination, this denomination, it's 75% doubt, 32% doubt, 57% doubt. You, you, you know what I'm saying? That made sense in my mind. So, and, and it's not that you're waiting for God to give you something, like that you don't have it. And this is, this is so important. And this is kind of a difficult uh, uh, concept to get. I mean, it's easy, but to live within it is challenging. You have, you have Christ in you. And next week, I'm going to go through Romans 8, and we're going to talk about you know, the overcoming aspect. If you have Christ in you, God has nothing left to give you. Because in Christ is everything that you need. It might be in seed form, Patience, joy, long-suffering, finances, a spouse, all of that kind of stuff that you need and God wants you to have in your life, it's in Christ to grow into you, into your life, out of Him. So when we start seeking other sources to meet those needs, you know, death and destruction, you're just inviting it. So, so that, that, that is like, how do we do that? How do we let Christ be everything to us? And, and I've been doing this for a while, 
And if there's an answer that a preacher can give, I'd love to hear it. But, but really, you got to work that out. You having your own relationship with the Lord, you knowing who He is, you knowing, you know, uh, we can set the stage, but it's like, it's up to you to, to, to dig into your relationship with the Lord to the degree where you, you trust Him. You really trust Him because you really know who He is. And you really, you really believe that He wants the best for you and will work in your life to bring about those fruits that He promised and wants from you. The stuff that He wants from you, any, you already have within you everything God wants from you because it's in Christ and Christ is in you. Amen? He's everything. He's everything. Now the working out of it, the working out of that salvation can be challenging. But through this patience and staving off temptation and, and, you know, not behavior modification, but letting the Word bear fruit. That's what we need. So God is not giving you something that you don't already have, but there is an asking and a receiving. And, and, and the receiving is from His Spirit within you. The kingdom of heaven is within. Don't say who's going to go up and bring it down. Go down and bring it up. The Word is in you. It's in your mouth kingdom of heaven is in you. That's the mystery of the gospel, of the mystery of the kingdom that Jesus preaches in Mark 4. It's in you. He's planted it in you. And the condition of your heart determines the degree that you will let it grow out of you. And doubt is also in your heart, growing, choking out that word. And it's not that you don't have enough faith. You know, We're not talking about the grow your faith like your faith is stronger and bigger, you know. What makes the difference between great and little faith is the degree to which you are convinced of who God is. Great faith is fully persuaded of who God is, like Sarah and Abraham. Great faith is, God said it, I believe it. And I have no doubt, that's great faith. It's not something that you have that you do. Little faith is, I'm not so sure, did God really say? That's little faith. Amen? Let's keep going. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. And see, again, are we supposed to receive what we call temptations and trials from the Lord? I question that. We'll get there. But the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away for no sooner. It gets a little poetic here, you know, kind of, kind of he's drilling down on doctrine and then he kind of opens it up with a little bit of, you know, visualization. Uh, For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers at the grass, its flowers falls and it's beautiful in appearance and perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved or proved or mature, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord promises to who? Those who pass the test or to those who love Him? See, this is where you have to diagram a sentence and understand what's actually being said here. The crown of life is promised to those who love Him. Not you get a crown of life if you pass the test. That's not what's being said here. This is the way Paul or James writes. He took probably some cues from Paul here. but So... Blessed is the man when he endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So again, it's that 
when you, when you push out the world and that stuff that's trying to grow in you through doubt and you're looking to some other source to meet a need that only God can, when you live within that patience and you experience the maturity of that, which God's on your side through that whole process working with you, then you experience that crown of life that He has for you in Christ. It's not like, good job, you passed the test, here's your crown. Let now 13, I mean, just keep ingrained in your mind, James 1.13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, as evidenced by our brave sister Audrey, right? Your, fa- your sin, your favorite sin is the one you like. It comes from you. Temptation is out there because you have a desire. And that's what lust means. It's basically just a desire. And you have godly desires, physical godly desires even sometimes, emotional desires. God has a way to, for those to be met. And when you're feeling a temptation, you got to recognize, uh-oh, okay, there's, there's, there's some kind of doubt here. I need to go to the Lord. I need to make sure that I'm experiencing patience. I need, to not, I need to not just resist, but actually let that desire run its course in the fleshly matter so that I get into what is the spiritual desire that I'm feeling look like? What is it that I'm really craving in this? What do I really want? What is it, what is it that God has for me that I really want in this? And some of this is subjective because it's spiritual and you have to apply it for yourself and the Holy Spirit will teach you and lead you. I can't give you like one, two, three, four steps for that part once we get down that deep into the matter in terms of you, uh, uh, how you get that grace from His Spirit into your actions and it changes your desires. Because that's the goal that your desires change, right? Not that you get really good at managing your sin habits, but that you just don't even desire it anymore. I mean, I smoked a bunch of weed back in the day but I just don't desire it at all. I mean, I've been around people that have it because of the circles that I minister to sometimes, and I smell it, and I'm like, I just, ugh, I just not interested at all. Desires change. Uh, so don't say when you're tempted. Now remember, and I'll, I'll put these two to so 14, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away of his own. Now think about that. Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. Could Jesus have sinned? This is one of those kind of theological lines that makes people uncomfortable. Think about it. Could Jesus have sinned if he wanted to? But he's God. God can't sin. Well, he was tempted. It was because he was a man. I'm not saying he wasn't God. I'm not even remotely saying that. I'm just saying in some way, God emptied himself and fully embraced humanity and lived with all of the limitations that we live within, yet without sin. You know, he was born of the Spirit of God. God was his father from the beginning, but he lived on this earth as a man. You know, somehow if you want to... Then we make up phrases, well, he was 100% God and 100% man. It was like, I mean, I've had had some people argue with me because what I've said is he was 100% man, 100% full of God. And it's like, when we start extrapolating, it's like when you start making up phrases based on Scripture, that's what people argue over. Well, but you said... I'm like, I just made that up. You're going to argue with that? He's God in the flesh. 
That's what the Bible says. He, God emptied himself, took on flesh. And in fact, it's interesting, the Antichrist spirit says that God didn't come in the flesh. That's the nature of the Antichrist. The Antichrist spirit is not Jesus didn't come. It's not God isn't real. It's he didn't come in the flesh. He didn't come as a man. He didn't come to destroy what mankind gave up. You know, mankind had dominion over this planet. Man had to fix it. And so God became a human to destroy everything that would separate mankind from the Father, right? You know, there's so much in that exchange on the cross and in His incarnation and His death, burial, and resurrection that is just incredibly powerful. All right, I know I'm throwing a lot at you, so let's stick on the idea of temptation. Is it from God? Is it not from God? Very clearly, James 1.13 says, don't say it's from God. Now, well, of course temptation is not from God. But remember, some translations use the word trials, and a lot of people will teach you should embrace this trial because it's from God to teach you patience. Well, again, we're, I'm going to get a little bit deeper into that in just a minute. Each one's tempted when he's drawn away of his own desires. That means you can change your desire. Your desires can change. And your desires don't change like this. God, fix me. God, change me. God, change my desires. He's like, I've been, I'm trying to. I'm trying to work. But, you know, you've got you to gotta work with me too. You, you have to put some work in, the work of faith, that his spirit is alive and active within you to bring that fruit come to pass. And like, so... That's a spiritual concept, and it's funny, I, I, when I get down to that level, I want to break out the scalpel and kind of dig into that part where spirit meets flesh, where the Word pierces into your, you know, dividing between the joints and marrow, even into your, you know, the deepest parts of you. Like, that's the part of manifestation. That's the spiritual part that you have to take the time to condition your heart to let the Word sit within you that those little revelations and lights and understandings come in a way that works for you, that the fruit bears for you. Are you with me? Am I getting too technical? You getting something out of it? So then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings death. Your desires. So he clarifies here, right? He starts with, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations, but don't say it's from God. Be patient and recognize that it's a desire from within you and you should change that over to a godly desire because if you continue down that temptation that you should welcome, then it will produce death. Do you see that? It sounds a little contradictory. It's not. If the word seems to contradict itself, it's somewhere in our understanding. You know, what he's saying here is, Count it all joy when you experience a trial or a temptation because you have an opportunity to let the Spirit of God bear fruit in your life. Right? And when you eat of that fruit of the Spirit, man, that's when desires can change. And if you do that long enough, you resist. You resist, right? I uh, kicked coffee this week. I had a little bit today because I'm kind of experimenting, but... I, don't, I just didn't even really even want any. But So Monday, so I had some last Sunday. Monday I woke up, and we ran out, but I've been wanting to kick it for a little while anyway. And it's like, I've never had that. Man, I didn't like it. I, I, I'm kind of late to the coffee game anyway. 
And so I never really kicked it in that way before. And it wasn't like you drink, I drink a lot anyway, but it was like, man, that weird headache and you just, you feel like, I think I'm dying or melting or something. <laughs> I don't feel like doing anything, you know? But then, and then it was Tuesday, I felt a lot better. Wednesday, I'm like, oh, I don't need that stuff. But I didn't like that it had that kind of effect on me. But I didn't know that it was having that kind of effect on me. You know what I mean? Like you, you develop dependencies, not addiction, because I, I don't want, I really don't even want it. But there's a dependency that happens. And see, that a lot of times is how sin is. It's not that it's addiction or over... It's not full-grown sin producing death. It's just a little bit of sin stinking of death a little bit, you know, in your life. But you tolerate it because you're dependent on it. It being... Should I discern all your favorite sins also? You know what I mean? Like, what is it? And it might not even be a behavior. Sometimes it's just an attitude. And Aaron says amen back there. <clears throat> the desire for sin comes from you. Because when he gets down to describing, remember the same word is used up in, James 1, uh, up in the top of James 1 as here where it's talking about don't say it's from God and you should resist it because it will produce death in your life but you welcome it because it's an opportunity to let patience have its perfect work. All right, so don't be deceived. Now, this is, this. I forget the term, but this is kind of a literary, um, maybe Melissa would know. Where's Melissa? But it's, it's kind of a literary tool. He's, re, he's rephrasing kind of the same thing, but he's making an emphatic point about how to think about something. So you can talk about an idea, but then if you stop and you take the time to say, but this is how you should really think about it. That's what he's doing here. Don't be deceived. So he's still talking about embracing temptation, remaining patient, letting patience have its perfect work. Don't say it's from God. Don't be deceived, my brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. Don't say that the trial's from God. Don't be deceived. It's the good stuff that comes from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Now, some people would say that trial is good, perfectly crafted. But he, I think he debunked that. If you, if you want to believe that, you're free to believe that, but I don't, I don't read it that way. So every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. In other words, that's not going to change. It ain't going to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And that's, that opens up a whole new... But I, I want to look at this. You put these two passages together in James 1. My brother... Or, or 4. James 1, verse 2 and 3, and then 13 and 14. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works, works patience... When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does, God, does He tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And it's not that you throw away the part in the middle there, but he's contextually, he kind of wraps up the idea here that he started in 13 and 14. Do you see that? Now... Does God test you? Because test is actually a different word than tempt, which comes with a trial. So it's like if you look up and you do a, a deep, in-depth word study of the word temptation 
and trial, they're always connected. But test is not necessarily always connected. So will God test you? How many thinks God tests you? There's like... How many of you think God does not test you? Yeah. You raise your hand on both. Maybe you didn't. I don't... Oh, okay. But, but that's kind of true. It's like, it's like yes and no. Here, let me just tell you, yes, He will. But it's different than what He's talking about in James 1.13. See, James 1.13, people look at that, and then 1 Corinthians 10.13, which I'm going to read, people look at that and say, I should welcome these external difficulties in my life because God's out there pulling the strings, you know, doing stuff in my life. And I've get, I just, I'm like a bumper car. I'm like a pinball machine. I get shot out and I'm bouncing off of what God's doing here. What's God doing there? Oh, look, there's a bird. Maybe that God means God's saying move to California. You know what I mean? It's like, and people make that decision. I don't know what he's doing. What are you doing, God? Will you open the Bible? You shall not steal. Oh, okay. We go, you know, we get so external with our faith because we're so immature with our faith. And if you're a Bible flipper and it means something to you, I'm not trying to take that away from you. But please don't let that be the only way you hear God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so does He test you? Yes. How? Here's how. Matthew 6.13. Well, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Even Jesus in His prayer lets us agrees with the fact that you shouldn't welcome temptation into your life or trial into your life because it's the same word used interchangeably in such a way because He prays. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, power, and glory and ever and ever. Amen. Jesus taught us to ask God to lead us away from temptation or away from the trial. So, when you are tempted, you have an opportunity to prove out or strengthen your faith, but don't say it's from God. I think it's pretty clear James says that. So, what about God? Will He test you? So, here's where I thought we were. Yes, He will. So this is Jesus. Let me just say before I read there, this is... All right, so, so remember the, the story, the miracle of the fish and the loaves, which He did twice, right? They had just a little bit of fish and bread. He's like, let's feed these people. And, and they, one of, I can't remember which passage it, it is, but it reveals the heart of the Lord toward the people in the moment that this comes out. What He says, we've got all these people here. We need to feed them. And the disciples are like, man, it's going to take us two months to work to have enough money to buy food for this many people. What are we going to do? We need to send them away so they can go to town and eat. And Jesus is like, they've been here listening to me preach all day. They're out here in the hot sun, no water, no food. If they go away from us now, I'm afraid they'll be weak. I don't want that for them. So what should we do? He looks to the disciples. What would you do? Well, if you, if you were in that, th put yourself in that setting. You've been out preaching all day long, hot desert. You know that these people need to go get food. And Jesus looks to you and says, we need to feed these people. I got some money. Let's take up an offering. That's why churches take up offering. They can't trust God. I don't know. I just said that. That just kind of. It doesn't mean don't give, but we don't be dependent on money. You rewind that. <laughs> but I think you know what I'm saying, though, right? It's like we depend on externals so much. Yeah, Adam's, Adam's like, don't say that. 
<laughs> which, which by the way, we were like, we like blew, we crossed 90,000 in the building fund, which we were like really excited about, but we kind of blew past that, which you can't go buy a building for that and you'd still have to carry some debt. So, you know, we're not in a rush, but we kind of feel like we're moving toward that. Obviously it's COVID season, so a lot of people are staying away, but there's a lot of people watching online and I'm not gonna go into all that, what the exciting stuff that's happening, huh? I said less after what you just said. Less after, yeah. <laughs> I have a knack for that. <laughs> so does he test you? And this is what he says here. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already knew, uh, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. That's how God will test you. What do you believe? What's in your heart right now? What's going on inside of there? You know, this is the kind of testing that God will do. He'll poke around, you know, the Spirit of God searches within you, in your heart. It knows the mind of God. And it's searching within you. And, you, and, and that's not comfortable. You know, especially if God starts deciding to poke around in the sin that you are playing around with and you feel like you're kind of ready to deal with it. Right? That's what He'll test you. He's like, so, so what do you, you know... Sebastian, who they're probably watching online or will watch, um, and Natasha, you know, he told that story of him being healed from a kidney stone. And then right before that, Robbie Zacharias had passed, who died sick, and Sebastian was believing for healing and thinking about Robbie, and they're both, you know, from the same country, and so he kind of had that connection there, and he felt like the Lord asked him, what do you believe? Don't worry about what Robbie believed. That's between me and him. What do you believe? That's the kind of test that God will give you. Do you really believe that I am who I say that I am? To the degree that you're actually going to stake your life on it? Are you going to stake your life on the character of God? That's the kind of test. Not, Lyle, I tell you what, you're a little bit too dependent on your basketball. I'm going to pop all your basketballs and you're not going to be able to play basketball anymore. You know, I mean, relate that to whatever it might be for you. And I don't mean to make light of difficulties. I, I mean, I'm telling you, it's a pet peeve of mine, but I believe it's doctrinally sound. So many people draw the wrong conclusions from difficulty. Well, um, I got sick. You know, this is an example. I got sick, and while I was sick, I got closer to the Lord than I ever have before. And see, what God will do is He'll put you on your back so you look up. You ever heard that? It's totally unscriptural. I, I, I get it. I understand. That's 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 a, that's that's a, the, there's a crack in the body of Christ in that area, and people stand on one side or the other. So, God will test you to see if you're in faith. It's an internal test, not external. You would never say God will tempt you to lie, take drugs, look at porn, but you might say God will take your job away or give you car trouble to teach you. Like He's not going to tempt me to sin, but He's going to do something in my life that's going to make me want to sin. Just a little bit of logic there. And the good news is you can overcome all temptation. Now, 
I can hear it. People, what about suffering? Entered in, we're supposed to suffer for Jesus, and it's like we're counting holiness. And this is it. If it's it's really a different issue, and I don't have it in my notes, but let me just quickly address it. Suffering, if suffering can be godly, and suffering in if if it's for your faith, like the only kind of suffering God endorses is from you preaching the gospel. You suffering because you lost your job because of COVID, or you're you mother-in-law's coming into town. <laughs> Whatever it might be to bring in suffering into your life, the only kind of... I, I challenge you. I challenge you. Go into the Word and look up every time suffering is mentioned in the New Covenant, especially Acts, and it's always related to what they experienced after going into a hostile territory and preaching the gospel. Always. That type of suffering you might experience as you're following God. God's not saying, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles because I need you to suffer. What He says is, I'm sending you to the Gentiles and you're going to suffer along the way because that's just part of the, that's just, it comes with the territory. But if you remain patient underneath that suffering, a holiness will birth within you that you never realized it was even within you. That, that's, that's the proper picture of suffering. <clears throat> but you can overcome all temptation. Again, and, I, and I'm winding down here. It's a little bit long, but uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation. Remember, same word, James 1, 13, don't, when tempted, don't say it's from God. You guys are ready to listen, I can see. James 1.13, it's like, remember this, memorize this, James 1.13, 1 Corinthians 10.13. If you can talk about those two passages together, you'll help a lot of people understand the character of God and how He works in your life. James 1.13, 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation, James 1.13, don't say it's from God, same word. No temptation has seized you except which is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will also provide an escape so that you can stand under it. But didn't He say, don't say that it's from God? He said that, right? So what's going on here? Because this kind of sounds like He's given me the temptation or the trial and the way out of it. Well, what's He doing? Is He playing games with me? Read it again. Keeping in mind, James says, don't say it's from God. Uh, he will not let... I, I, so I see this as an encouragement and as a promise. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So count it all joy when temptations come because you have an opportunity to exercise your faith and experience patience and change the desires of your heart. So, so welcome them, but don't say they're from God. And there's nothing that you're going to experience that's not common to man. But when you are tempted, also remember, He's not going to let it overcome you. Whatever it is that you're facing, He will help you. He will provide and supply enough grace for you to overcome it. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Amen? You have much more opportunity to choose grace than you do sin. And I pray 
that you trust God in such a way that your heart is receptive to that grace, that inner influence, that power, which by the way, mercy and grace are not the same thing. Mercy is forgiveness when you don't deserve it. Grace is an influence in your heart. It's a strength that's come, it comes undeservedly. It's undeserved favor. It's a power within you. Grace is transformative. So when it comes, don't say it's from God. Welcome it as an opportunity to grow and build your faith and, and, and live within patience. And, and don't worry because God's not going to let it, come, it overcome you if, and I will add this, if you're willing to trust Him in the midst of it. Remember that double-minded thing? It's kind of like you have to put these two ideas together when you're facing it. Ask God for patience and wisdom. And, and don't ask with doubt because the double-minded man shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. Well, you shouldn't expect to receive the help when it seems to be more than you can bear if you're double-minded about whether or not He's going to help you. And to be taught that it might be from God creates a double-mindedness. Cancer is not from God ever. Jesus healed people. That's the will of God. You understand God through Christ. Jesus never said, I took cancer off of this guy over here and I'm going to put it on you because you need. Cancer is going to be a better teacher for you. You just don't see Jesus doing that. I get it. You, there's a couple of nuanced things in Acts with Paul and one or two people that you've got to split those hairs with Ananias and Sapphire. I'm not going to go into that right now, but we're talking about in general. Uh, but, but when you are tempted, He will also provide a way of escape. Praise God. What is that escape? Patience. Wisdom. Patience, wisdom, to choose grace, to let it bear fruit within you with the ultimate goal of the desire of your heart changing where you just don't even desire that stuff anymore. Whatever it is that produces the guilt and the shame and all that in your life. So, a couple more. This is kind of, so when you're, when you're wondering, is this difficulty from God? How should I believe about this? Then we go back to passages like this in Psalm 91 to, to put on the new man, to renew our mind, to reframe how we think about God in our lives. And in terms of sickness and illness, there's not much greater passage than to think about something like this. This is Psalm 91, 14. Because he loves me, says the Lord. Now, who are we talking about here? We're not just talking about King David. In context, Psalm 91 starts with whoever dwells. Are you a whoever? Is the Spirit of God within you? Amen? All right, so whoever dwells in the house of the Lord. Because he, so he, whoever, it's not just a single promise. Okay. Because he, say that's me, I love the Lord. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name, my name, my authority, my power, my character. That's what's in a name. Uh, he will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. So to me, when it says, when you're tempted, God will be with you to uh, make a way of escape so that you're able to bear it. This, to me, this is, this is like definition of how he will help you so that you can stand with under it, uh, under it and, and experience patience. He'll protect you. He'll rescue you. 
You acknowledge his name, his power, his character in your life. He will call, you call on him. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. I will honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Like that one, just memorize that. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Well, we're not promised tomorrow. Well, I beg to differ. Did he not say that? With a long life, I will satisfy. Who? Whoever. And then this is what he does. I would say, take some time this week and meditate. You know, Psalm 91, it's so universal and so powerful, but especially these passages this particular week because of what's going on in the world and what we're all, <clears throat> excuse me, all facing. I really want to encourage you to take some time and, and do a little bit of a devotional this week. Then if, if meditation is uncomfortable for you, you're just, you're just looking at it, you're thinking about it. What does this look like? How does he rescue me? How does he help me? And you're not trying to get him to give you answers. You're just opening your heart to the fact that this is what God said this. Like God Almighty said this. And it's for you. And, and so it's like, it's like watering your garden. Take some time and sit with these passages this week and just think about them. Let them marinate in your heart to the point that it changes how you're feeling in that moment. And that actually is a secret of how to overcome temptation, is that you take the Word of God in the moment with whatever you're facing. But here's the deal. You want to do it before you need it. So if you take this Word this week and sit within it, and you can change your mental state and your emotional state by meditating in the Word of God, then your heart knows how to do it, your mind knows how to do it. So when you need it, then you can do it then. And have some passages read. That's why you should know the Word of God so that when you're facing something, oh, I know this, or at least you know how to go to Google and search a phrase, or you know what I mean? The Word of God is alive and powerful. It's not just words on a page. It's not just doctrine. There's a living element within this that you read in, in the past couple of messages that I did on Colossians 1 and 2 about how to receive revelation. It's all about sitting within the Word until it becomes alive. And it's like, oh, this, this is actually producing hope within me. This is producing a, 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 a positive expectation. This is producing something within me that, man, it could be different. I don't have to be afraid. And, and so then you start sounding like one of those char crazy charismatic Christians that says, don't worry about COVID. You got the divine healing. You know, I get that that gets misunderstood, but it's like, you know, and we don't want to beat people up with our belief or, or, or say something that we don't really believe ourselves. But the Word of God is true. Like, this is, I look at this and this is kind of like God saying, let me tell you who I am. You want to know who I am? Let me tell you who I am. Want to know what I want in your life? This is what I want in your life. This is how I'm going to operate in your life. Amen? I mean, I know I'm going a little bit long today, but I think it's important, and I've got one more. And so this is where we're going next week. So if I were to put an end on today's sermon, it would be use the Word of God to change your inner world because that is how you overcome temptation. Next week we're going to go into a little bit more. But this idea here, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live.
by the Spirit, you put to death that stuff that's producing death in your life. By the Spirit. What does that mean? How do we do that? The Word of God. I mean, we've kind of been talking about it, right? It's a kind of an kind of an answer that we just know. The Spirit of God is within you, running about, helping you understand yourself, right? And, and but but that that actually can be a practical process. That actually can be a non-charismatic exercise where you're searching for secret knowledge and hidden doors in heaven or something like that. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the living, breathing Word of God alive and active from your spirit, through your heart, into your life. That's how it works. And you, when you're facing temptation, whether it be physical, emotional, mental, whatever it might be, can put to death that thing by the Spirit. We're going to talk about a little bit more by the Spirit next week, but just remember, it's not from God. All this external stuff people say that God is doing, and that, that's, that's one of the probably the things that makes our, our church unique is taking that stance and that perspective, and, and it creates some pushback. But man, I'm telling you, it's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. It's the goodness of God is seeking to be a good father to you. He's not going to give you snakes and stones when you ask for bread. He's not experimenting on your life like you're a rab, lab rat trying to find the cheese and he's changing the doors on you. He says, I've given you everything that pertains unto life and godliness. So that you, and all of my promises are yes and amen, so that you would be a partaker of his divine nature. His spirit is real. And that's what we want to live. We want to, we want to continually lean on that and live from that and be fueled by that, you know? You eat food and you never question if that stuff, that food's going to produce energy. And, you know, you start getting 40, 50, you start realizing, man, the food that I eat actually affects how I feel. Well, the spiritual food that you eat affects how you feel and think and grow and live. And it's more real than that steak. And it tastes better. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's let's stand up. I'll pray pray with you. Father, we thank you. We thank you. I I feel like I pray the same prayer at the end of every service. I thank you for your word and I thank you for your spirit and we are committing to you to trust you. We are willing to eradicate doubt out of our lives. We will frame every belief about you through your word, making sure that it's consistent with your word, but seeking to experience that living aspect of your spirit in our lives. We believe and we trust that you are not a liar. And you said, with long life, I will satisfy you. And we have a choice. And we can become offended at that word, or we can just look at you and realize, no, Father, you want good things in my life. You want me to represent you. You want me to carry your gospel into this world and see the increase of your kingdom continue. And we experience the fruit of your spirit along the way. Father, I thank you that, that uh, there's more grace available this week as we meditate in your word, as we face difficulty, you know, as we face opportunity to doubt, which is our greatest temptation, but I thank you that, that we're walking out of here with an expectation of your spirit to be available, your, the energy of your grace to be available, 
and we will put the work in of believing to allow patience to bear fruit so that we can assimilate your wisdom and actually live it out in our lives. We trust that your spirit is seeking to do that even now. Just take a minute. Open your heart to him. I trust you, Lord. I want to follow you. I'm your disciple. You are the solution the world is looking for. I think that as I'm having my conversations with my loved ones and my hated ones, I thank you that I have your wisdom bearing within me to be a light in this earth and to be salt in this earth, to carry your gospel, to carry your presence. And I'm not weighted down by sin. I'm not weighed down by doubt and fear and being subjected to what's going on in the economy or politics or any of that kind of stuff. It matters, but there's a greater kingdom. And we live in that kingdom and we represent that kingdom and we bring good news from that kingdom to this world's kingdoms. Father, I thank you. We trust you. I love you. Amen. 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 Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. And thank you to those of you who support Forward Ministries financially. You truly are changing the way the world sees God. You're helping people detox from performance-based religion and experience God's love for them. We're committed to helping you renew your mind so you'll experience transformation and move forward in every area of your life. I pray you're making this heart journey. Visit my website at clintbyers.com for hundreds of free teachings and articles that will empower you to renew your mind and put on your eternal identity in Christ. I'm especially excited about my tools for transformation that have original music and modern technology designed to help you slow down and connect with the Spirit of God in your heart. I'd like to invite you to partner with Forward Ministries. Help us continue to spread the gospel and develop resources that are empowering people to grow in their identity in Christ. Thank you again for joining me. I pray God's blessings and promises over you and your family today.